Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 445, Essen Hotness for 2023. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for bringing you a brand new episode. All right, friends, we're back. Not back from Germany, but we're back with a new episode. Heck yeah. Heck yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's every year we do this, we're like, do we pretend we were there? Is that funny? <laughs> like, that I don't it? think it's I don't think it's funny because people know we're not there. So <laughs> they're just like, why are you lying? <laughs> well, it doesn't sound it doesn't sound like Essenspiel here, but in our hearts, we were there because we love board games, and so do you, because otherwise you would not be listening to this podcast. No. So <laughs> we do have a tremendous amount of information and news from Essenspiel 2023. We wanted to be there. We felt we were there. We cried that we were not there. But now we get to share the wonderment that is Essenspiel 2023. And I don't know, but since we've been doing the podcast for so long, might as well say it. Anthony, can we go next year? Is that a thing we could do? I want to. Um, All right. I, I want to. <laughs> in fact, it was the plan to go back in 2020. And we yeah. all know how that went. <laughs> we went to Germany and had a wonderful time. Oh, that's right. In the yeah. alternate timeline that we did not exist. <laughs> oh, no. I forgot we're in the darkest timeline. My bad. We are in the darkest timeline, friends. So, yeah, please re-roll. We're just asking you, dear God, re-roll. I know. <laughs> I keep rolling sixes. It's no good. No, no, no. So, yeah, in an alternate timeline podcast, it was awesome. It was great. We went. We brought all the games back because shipping is like nothing. Planes are awesome with traveling with extra stuff. And you don't need passports because I don't even know why you need passports. Like, we don't. Just go. You come back. You had a great time. It was awesome. But we do actually have real stuff, so stick with us. It's just not a delusional daydream. I mean, there's some of that, but there's more than that. Yeah, it's like a really long acquisition disorder because it's a bunch of stuff that sounds cool that we can't get for like eight months. (laughs) It may break us by the very end. So stick with us and see if the feature review mentally breaks us because we did not get any of the things that we really wanted to get because Essen's pretty awesome, man. Like, it's a uh, thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I hope it is awesome. I hope we don't get over there and we're like, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> like 10 years and we're like, oh, we're so excited. I can't believe this is finally happening. Oh, it's kind of smelly in here. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, this is, this is kind of like any other game convention, but most people don't speak English. I don't, I don't know, but. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm learning German. Maybe I'll get oh. us around by then. I don't know. Well, like there you go. Year. <laughs> Start learning phrases about board games. Heck yeah. <laughs> so listen to this episode next year when we actually go to Essen. And then we, we won't know what to say because we're like, we were there. And people are like, no, you didn't go for 10 years. Like we did this year. Yeah. Awesome. We got photos, but it's a podcast. So you can't see them. If you go online. <laughs> Like, right now, you don't believe me, but if you open up Facebook, I mean, that could be any airport, but trust me, it's Germany. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) We'll have some Wiener Schnitzel, and it'll be awesome. All right, so that's the feature review, but what's going on with us, because we have been busy, there's a lot of things we've been busy with. We haven't mentioned in a while, I'll just mention it now, we haven't talked about it, but our uh, board game academics, that journal is coming along, right? That's the thing we do. Journal is coming along. Yeah, we had all 
almost all the papers submitted. Uh, the deadline was October 1st. So we have many papers in front of us that we are reviewing for editorial purposes, and they're going to peer review shortly. Um, the The goal is to launch that journal very early in 2024. So we're targeting the third or fourth week of January. And if that awesome. changes, we will let you all know. But it's it's really exciting. It's been a long journey. It's been almost it's been over a year since we started talking about it, and almost a year since we put the website up. Uh, so it's almost there. Just like three more months, and we will have a journal, and then we will open up submissions for the next journal, which I know a lot of people have asked about. So um, stay tuned for that. Right now, all all of our efforts are focused on getting this one completed, but uh, new submissions opening up not not too long from now. Yeah, and if they want to find out information about any of that, whether it's submissions or about the journal, where would they go? Boardgameacademics.com. So uh, we keep the website updated. Anytime there's something new, anything additional going up, um, whether it's new information for the journal or new uh, ventures that we're working on, new conferences that we're speaking at, anything like that, you'll find it there, boardgameacademics.com. Yeah, we don't. And again, we're not doing an official announcement yet, but if you go to the website, you will see some things you have not seen before, and it might be very surprising for you. Oh, there's a teaser. Some sizzle there. Yeah, and I tell you. <laughs> yeah, we've been doing a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff. So yeah, please forgive tired. us if we have not <laughs> been communicating externally as much as we could. But we have we're, we have like multiple things in the air at the same time. Yeah. Clearly, we don't have enough craziness happening, but we again. Uh, we also do, and again, if you go to BoardGamersAnonymous.com, you will also see, and it does not have all the information because there's super amounts of information there, we do charity events all the time because our real, you know, our mission, and hopefully at the end of every episode, if you get there, we talk about we save everyone a, a space at the table, and we sincerely mean that. So much so that we're always trying to reach out to new groups, bring new gamers to the table, because inevitably even in the most selfish way possible, you'll get to play more games because there'll be more people into tabletop gaming. And that's amazing. And then there's obviously everything else that's great about it. But again, that's board game or board game academics to talk about that. But from board gamers anonymous point of view, get more people to the table. So we got a charity event. We talked about it. We're talking a little bit more about it because we got a little bit of updates. Tabletop charity game day. November 4th is a Saturday. It will be happening in Fanwood, New Jersey. If you are available, we would love for you to attend because we get to meet you and play games with you and have a lot of fun. If you go to BoardGamersAnonymous.com slash tabletop dash charity slash game slash day. <laughs> a lot of slashes. 2023. Again, if you just go to BoardGamersAnonymous.com and you search for the charity events, you'll see this upcoming big event. Primarily, it's there for bringing more gamers to the table. And one of the, the largest populations of gamers who are typically not invited as much to the game table is girls and women. We want to broaden and bring in more people to the table, and we want to serve people typically that are not as brought, <laughs> invited and brought to the table. So, in order to do this, we have brought together our friends at Board Game for the Better. Uh, board Games for the Better is a charity organization bringing board games to populations all over the place. And we're also working with the Girl Scouts. And in particular, we're raising money for Troop 6000, 
this is a Girl Scout troop that's made up of girls throughout New York City that are in homeless shelters, transitional houses, uh, Girl Scouts that are doing amazing things, and we want to bring board games to them. Them and also local board games to the community, especially local Girl Scout troops that will be helping us out with the event. So, if you would love to play some games, awesome, great event for you. If you'd like to buy some games, trade some games, sell some games, great event for you. If you'd like to meet all of these wonderful young women that we're going to bring into board gaming, excellent. And again, it supports a wonderful cause and our friends out there, all the girls, all the women that we love and appreciate and want to get to the table. So check out our website. If you're not able to attend, there's an opportunity to donate on the website. You'll find the link from our friends at Board Games for the Better. If you'd like to pre-register for you know, entrance, it's $10 donation, $20 if you want the table to sell your games, and all the money goes to charity. We keep we don't keep a penny of it. We want to serve. We want to be of service. And again, thank you all so very much, especially our Patreon backers, for helping us make these things possible. All right, so that's what's going on with us. Anthony, look, we also do <laughs> more stuff. We do Patreon stuff because our Patreon backers give us money so that we could do more stuff like academic journals and charity events and podcasts. And we want to give back a little bit more. So what cool stuff are we doing for them this week? Yeah, so uh, head on over to uh, patreon.com slash BGA. And uh, as usual, if you're at the $5 tier or higher, you can uh, listen to our bonus episodes. Um, this past week, I did the most recent edition of my top 100, uh, going through games 80 through 71. Uh, and this coming week, Chris, you're going to have another kick in the habit for us, right? Woo! Okay. Yeah, we're going to talk about the hottest stuff out there on crowdfunding and just have a f- general frank discussion of whether or not you should back and our first impressions of it. It's not paid. It's there for all the people out there. And we talk about the uh, the Dirty Dozen, the latest dozen games out there each and every week. But we do a review on Tuesdays on that. Awesome. Yeah, so that that's the bonus content uh, for the... This episode, and for every episode, uh, we have our question of the week as well. So uh, this week, we asked everybody, what should be a mandatory addition to the side of game boxes along with player count and length? Oh. I know. Yeah. Like, what's the information <laughs> What's the information you actually need on there? Because right now, you get like the three pieces of information. You get player count, length, and age. And the age number is completely made up and has nothing to do with the actual age. It has to do with like whatever certifications the company wants to get or bother with. So it's almost always 14 plus, no matter how simple the game is. Because they want to make sure that like kids don't choke on pieces or chemicals or something, right? Yeah, it's not actually helpful information. (laughs) Um, And then every game is one to four players, even though it probably plays best at three. So (laughs) (laughs) what information would be helpful? I don't know. Um, So I I do. You do? Oh, you kind of lost them. Okay, well, let's let's just listen. hear from the listeners first um all right charlie on the patreon says i like gmt's complexity scale oh uh, their solo ability scale probably not so much but i certainly appreciate it i do wish publishers would embellish would not embellish figures though some games should not be at certain player counts and don't always play as quickly as listed 100 yeah. percent. yeah charlie you're spot on Th- those numbers are never right <laughs> so um drew says i have found the currently listed information player count and length to be mostly useless agree uh the box needs a qr code to its bgg page i get that 
That's that. a good idea. Um, Antoine says, I can't help but to sleeve all my cards, so an indication of their numbers oh. and sizes would help. Beautiful. Uh, so you don't have to open the box at home and come back another time to shop to buy the card sleeve. Yeah, like Fantasy Flight did that for a while when they sold their own sleeves. I don't know if they still do or not. Fantasy Flight also used to give a proof of purchase I know. Like thing so in their and, and their game. I was I was like, am I collecting these for like this miracle <laughs> day that like they were gonna be like, hey Chris, do you have like 20 of these? I'm like, yeah, I do. And they're like, now you get this magical game that it's unpublished, but you could have it because you got the 20. No, that never happened. That, that, that was never a thing. Yeah. <laughs> they never did anything with that. Yeah, that's pretty funny. I I don't I I always forget about those unless I like go out and buy an old fantasy flight game because they don't do it anymore. But like back in the day, you're like, oh, look at that. What's that for? Uh, all right. So a couple more answers over on the Discord. We got Control Shift Home says piece size, quantity, and accurate color representation of each distinct piece. Nice. So just knowing what should be in the box. I if this <laughs> if this is not in the rules. And some games don't have it. They'll uh, just have like a list, like just like a written list of everything that's supposed to be there. If there's not a picture of what you're supposed to have, that drives me crazy. Yes. If I'm cataloging stuff or like I come back to a game three years later and I'm like, oh, did I lose a piece? I have no idea. I have no idea if I lost a piece. And the rules are mentioning like this, you know, decoy card and there's 15 types of cards. <laughs> Which one is the decoy card? I don't know. There's no picture of it. So, yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. Please do that. <laughs> uh, Ryan says complexity rating out of five with a word or two to describe its rating. So even simpler than the GMT scale, which I think is out of 10. Uh, very easy, easy, moderate, challenging, very complex. I think Cosmos does this. They have the, their little dots on the back. Sure. Like complexity and luck. Yellow did that recently with Korra, where it was like, right. It was like advanced or advanced gameplay, advanced game. I was like, no, expert. It was expert. Remember it was expert on there? And we oh were like, yeah, we we're like Cora's expert. expert. Come on, I'm like come on. <laughs> GMT is going to come over there and take your lunch money. <laughs> yeah, I love I love Lookout Games does this, and they have like you know the advance and the expert for like all the Rosenberg games, and it feels random because they're all about the same weight, and they're like this one's advanced and this one's expert. That's like, right. That was they're uh, the same, but this one just has more pieces in the box. It's not harder. Was it Hallertal or something like Hallertal's expert? Yeah, expert, and I was just like. Compared to what? Like, is, is, he, is, is he really taking this to the next level? Uh, spoiler? Nope. It's it's about the same way that any of his other kind of heavy games. It's not it's not anything different. Yeah. Uh, all right. So what about you, man? What would you add to the box? Well, I, I think the... F- I, I have to agree with a lot of people. A lot of people said there's two things, I, I guess, amongst 20. It mm. sh- a, a board game should always say on the box, best at right yeah. so you can lie and say it's best at like one to 20 people that i'm sorry you could say plays one to one to five one to ten one to twenty i don't care but you have to say what it's best at because i will play your game once at a player count that i think is reasonable and if it does not play well it's not going to get table time i'm sorry there's thousands of games that come out every year if 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 I'm playing the game at five people or at one person or two people, any particular number, and it doesn't work for reasons, right? Maybe it's not a great solo game, but they threw a solo mode mode in there, or it's not a do- good two player game because you have to play with a bot for it to be a three, right? Like there's rationales for it. Maybe five takes too long. 
Just be honest with us. You could say it plays one to six, best at four. Done. So I know when I'm picking up the game, like I know exactly the number that I need to play for it to be best. Don't rely on Board Game Geek to be the to be the the factor to let me know what it's best at. Because you're gonna have a bad time. Don't do that. The other piece of information, because again, they love giving time and the time is never accurate. One bit of time that they could give as a metric is the setup and the breakdown time. Oh my gosh, that'd be great. So I would really appreciate that because I'm going to a game night with a, a game. And if I have to set it up, it could take five minutes. It could take 30 minutes. And it's just like, I need to know how to kind of arrange my game night around that. Because, you know, it does happen. Because no one thinks about setup and breakdown time for games. There really is always setup and breakdown time for games. Yeah. So those two pieces, I think, are are key. Everything else is obviously necessary. So, yeah. 100%. I, I'm 100% on board with you. Yeah, I'm going to talk about a game later today that takes, like, 45 minutes to an hour to set up like i know that now but buying it i'm like that might might have been useful information to have and again it's it's not to hurt the game and not to hurt the company but if you could be clear with people we can arrange a situation that's beneficial for the game to play as successful as possible when you pick up groceries and you see the label it says it gives you a best buy date it doesn't mean the food spoils on that date but it means that the maximum best flavor is by that date, and then eventually it slowly diminishes. So you don't have to throw out that can if it says Best Buy, right? But right. it's best by that date. So if you want the maximum value and experience, Best Buy. So if you want the maximum value and experience, Best Player Count. Set up and breakdown time. I know how long it's going to play. And again, one to... don't the general time each player is just kind of weird. That's just not a thing. I'm sorry. Yeah. Side, i'm with you man 100 <laughs> percent. all right uh well thanks everybody for wrote in um we'll just start pestering all the companies and let them know what our demands are uh what needs to be on the back of the boxes moving forward mm-hmm. uh for our patreon backers um again every couple weeks we give out a prize to our our best answer so charlie this week you are a winner i'll reach out to you you get the prize list you get to pick something from that and then i'll get that out in the mail to you in the next week or two Excellent. Thank you, everybody. And again, if you'd like to hit us up, we are on every social media possible as they slowly dwindle down into the social media war. Right now, Facebook is still the best because Twitter's kind of been consumed and no longer called Twitter. Yeah, yeah. I, I, You'll notice we don't really post to, I guess, X is what it's supposed to be called now. Because um. <laughs> it's the 90s, man. Everything's yeah, so cool. It's extreme. Uh, you can tell when when a Gen Xer becomes a billionaire. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of reasons why we don't have to get into that, but we're we're on Facebook. Check us out there. Instagram sometimes too. Yeah, sounds good. All right, so friends, hit us up, rate, review. That really does make a big difference. Any support is appreciated. No matter what type of support you can provide, share the podcast with a friend. Share great reviews. Tell publishers where you heard about their great games. All right, Anthony. So that's everything that's going on with our friends out there. Let's talk about the stuff that we want to talk about. Our acquisition disorders for this week. Oh, yeah. All right. So I'm going to run through this briefly. But honestly, the whole feature this time, this week, is like an acquisition disorder. So there's 100%. a bunch of stuff. Like, <laughs> All the things. My, my acquisition disorder is the city of S in Germany. So oh. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, just, I just want to be there. 
Um, but this one looked cool. It's called the Rats of Weistar. Weistar? I'm not sure. Um, but it's a new Simone Simone Luciani game with Danilo Sabia from Cranio Creations. I'm butchering all of this. You can tell it's late. Um, and it's about intelligent rats exploring their new house, expanding their lair. And the thing that stuck out to me about this, other than it being a new Luciani game, is it says you are one of four rats who organized the escape from the famous Y Star Institute. I'm pretty sure the Y Star Institute that they're talking about is here in Philadelphia. <laughs> so, oh my goodness gracious. Yeah, where they do a lot of biomedical research, i.e. animal experimentation and whatnot. No. Um no, it's not good, but <laughs> these rats survived. They got out. Uh they're smart now. It's basically the the secret of Nim, right? We get the yeah. smart rats who escaped from the uh the um the medical research. So you're going out in the world, you are building beds, excavating rooms, solving missions on the farm, working with mice, building inventions, claiming achievements. I don't know. It looks it looks like a medium weight worker placement euro, but it's cute. And you're building out like a little society with rats who managed to escape animal experimentation. So good on them. Um, and I know it was pretty hot at uh, Essen. I think it sold out from Cranio. Um, and it's coming over here soonish. I is it Capstone that just picked up the Cranio partnership? Someone here did. So I know it's about to go for pre-order that we'll be able to get it soon and not have to wait the, the typical nine-month Essen slog. Mm. So the rats of Weistar, Weistar it's, it's messing with me. I don't know how to say it. <laughs> um, you got super intelligent rats. It's cute. It's colorful. It secret and nim energy into it. Um, I like it. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I like it too. I think it's this is... Again, without going into the essence stuff, I mean it's it's kind of horrifying that's an actual theme because that actually really does happen. But yep. yeah, I'm this looks innovative, new, different, fun, and yet really approachable, and and has like a really unique artistic look to it. So this is an instant back for me. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't know if you know this, Anthony. We talked about this a, a while back. And I don't know. I think everyone knows about this part. Like, did you know those board game tables that you could buy? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So there's board game tables you could buy. If you've ever been to a board game convention, a lot of boots are just tables. And it's kind of weird. I mean, it makes sense, of course. But also, it's kind of weird that you walk into a board game convention and it looks like you're at Ikea. Just like random like rooms full of just tables and stuff like that so the big kind like there are giant gorgeous outrageous like tables with cranks and like steampunk looking tables and it's just always been amazing i look at them and i'm like these are amazing and i sit down at them and they're like sir could you leave because we're trying to sell this table (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, you hurt my feelings. I thought I had a moment. And like, no, 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 you got to go. Uh, so over the years, cannot afford the giant, fancy, beautiful, no. wonderful table. Uh, always want the beautiful, wonderful, fancy table. But weirdly enough, because board games kind of were super successful on Kickstarter, tables, board game specific tables are on Kickstarters. So. If you have not played with the big fancy ones, they're just giant wood tables that are, that have like, I don't know, I don't think indentation is the right word, but like a depth to them, like a a lower level to the table. So you can put your arms on the railing 
and not interact or mess with the table in front of you. Some have cup holders, some have like dice trays and a lot of other fancy stuff, and they're really great tables. And of course, you can use them as a table. Like a lot of them comes with like a table that you could put, like an actual wood planks you could put on top to hide your game underneath. These are great because you could actually keep your game set up, put the tabletop back on, and then live a normal life, more or less, <laughs> instead of having games just randomly set up and, and, and visible to everyone around you. What I've done, which I know is kind of crazy, is folding tables. Shocker, right? Uh, so <laughs> uh, until we get that big sponsorship with the game table, there happens to be, yet again, another giant uh, game table advancement. It's GameFold, the first folding table designed for gaming. So, what is it? Well, it's on Kickstarter. It's a folding table. Your typical plastic and metal table with the folding legs that folds in on itself. But this time, it actually has a top that has that indentation. So it has that railing and that extra depth to it. So you can put your board game lower than your arms and hands. And it's it's sized appropriately for a game table. So game fold table <laughs> uh, is up currently on Kickstarter and nothing radically revolutionary about this other than a fact that it actually has the game topper connected to the folding table, game topper being its own separate company thing where you buy a game topper and you throw it on a table. You can fold this up. You could throw this in your car. You could bring this to a game night or a meetup somewhere. And it has a lot of options that you can add to it. So you can hold phones. You could have drink holders. It has a neoprene mat. So you get to change the color of the actual brown kind of wood table. And then you can actually link up multiple tables to create a larger and larger size. If you're interested, it's $250. And again, there's updates and there's extras you can buy. And if you want to, if you want two tables, it's $900. And honestly, the reason why I'm talking about this is because way back on April 1st, the company Folded Space, which is known for their kind of like foam cardboard uh, inserts that you could, you know, cut up and arrange for games, had this April Fool's joke that they made a game table. And everyone had a good laugh about it. I thought it was a, a super great idea because they're already good at making inserts. Well, it turns out they're making game tables. Uh, it's not out yet. It will be out eventually where you could purchase one of their tables. I think they're looking at like 150 but again, there's not a lot of details yet other than it's going to be uh, almost identical kind of table setup. And you could possibly purchase that. So it's a real table. Folding tables with game topping kind of experience and utility is now a big thing. So not just the big fancy wood tables anymore. Great. I, I would love to. I got a very nice table for my wife for uh, my birthday. But at the same time, I would love to have this specifically because I don't want to replace that table. Sure. And it's not a game table, but it's just like a nice big space, big slab. Um. But having something to take with me, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. Because the cruddy little card table I have now is not good. <laughs> so It's a great idea. And currently they've already raised over a million dollars. So people seem to believe it's a good idea too. So 
check out this one, check out the next one, check out any version of them. But I think it's good to know that there are other alternatives out there other than the three to $5,000 range for the big fancy wood tables. Sure. All right. Well, that's what we want to get to the table or literally the table itself. Anthony, let's talk about the games that we hit the table. And I'll let people know if those games are by and they should round pick those games up. Those games are a play and they should sit down and enjoy them at some sort of folded table. If those games are a dodge and they should fold that table up and run. Or if those games are a dreaded burn and they don't even deserve to be on that kind of folded table. So just burn them. It's fine. What'd you play this week? I played some good stuff. What? No burning. No, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I love good games. Um, all right. So the first thing I want to talk about is the game I've been talking about for the last two weeks. And you know what? If any game deserves a three-week review, it's Voidfall. <laughs> Uh, because it took me three weeks to learn it fully. So <laughs> I'm finally ready to talk about it in full. Um, so Voidfall is just upfront. It's a buy. I'm happy I bought it. It's It was well worth backing. Um, it's a very good game. And I've already talked on, on here at length about how it was very difficult to set up. And I don't think it would be faster to set up now that I know where everything goes. Maybe a little bit. Half an hour. Maybe. It's a long setup. Uh, it takes a long time to break down. <laughs> it's also a problem. Um, they have this weird thing where they've broken down. There's these 14 different houses and you organize the cards in the game. The technologies are organized by houses, but every game you play, you have to pull out certain houses and certain technologies, which means you have to take apart all 14 of these trays to find everything. I threw the trays away because I think that's terrible. Um, I don't have an insert now for those cards. I just put them in a plastic bag because it was the three times I've played it, and I hadn't even broken it down yet, it took unnecessarily long to find the cards I wanted. I'm like, why am I doing this? This is this is unnecessary. Like, cool, it all fits in the box, but this is poor design decision. Um, stuff like that's annoying, but that's just what happens with a big, sprawling, overly complex game that should have been edited a little bit more. Mm. The gameplay, however, is very fun. And there's two things I should cover here. One is, they say it's a 4X game. Right, they call it a 4x for Euro enthusiasts. I would say it's not a 4x game; it's a Euro for 4x enthusiasts, or maybe just a Euro for Euro enthusiasts. Wow! Um, it's calling it a 4x. I think is not going to help it much. I think people who come in and if you look at the reviews on Board Game Geek, the ones that are negative tend to be something to the effect of, "This is not a 4x game." It doesn't remind me anything of Twilight Imperium or Eclipse or Forbidden Stars. I'm like, yeah, no, it wouldn't because it's not that type of game. But their marketing kind of makes it sound like that kind of game, which, you know, that's on them. I don't know. I don't know if they care, but <laughs> like, I think that's a bad comparison. Like, think more like on Mars or like, I, I mean, Anachrony, right? Like the big sci-fi epic Euro games. Um, it's more like that. And it is very heavy and it is very complex. But ultimately, at the, at the end of the day, the, the rule set, when you drill down into it, is not that complicated. You have three rounds or three cycles, I guess I call it. Um, and then it, within each cycle, you have an event card that has a certain number of rounds attached to it. So the most recent game I played, which was a solo game, ended up having 16 total rounds in the game, which is... 16 actions that I could cards that I could play that actions that I would take with it. Um, it seems very long. <laughs> like that's another big part of it. Like I've played this kind of multi-handed and solo. So 
you know, playing it alone against like the crisis board that it comes with, that takes like an hour and a half ish hour, hour and a half solo. Like, so I can see why people are saying, don't play this at four. I haven't done it, but I don't know if I want to, um, very, very long, but the, the overall flow and the, the intuitiveness of the rules, once you finally wrap your head around all the different iconography is really, really solid. So I've enjoyed it. Um, when I first set it up, I was like, this is a lot. I don't know if I'm going to get through it, but I knew that if I put it away, I would just never take it back off the shelf. It would sit there for a year or two and then I would get mad and sell it. So I'm like, no, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to learn it. It took me a whole week, but I did it. Um, and then having played it like the three, four times now since then, I'm like, okay, I get it. I, I get why this is so good. It's just such a big barrier, right? I talk about how it, the Lacerda games don't come off the shelf very often um, because I have to relearn the rules every time. This is going to fall into that boat too. And it concerns me a little bit because I feel like if I fully forget the rules of this game, like if I don't play it for six to nine months or something, I don't know that I'm going to want to go back through that entire process of relearning it. Um, so I'm going to try to play it fairly often because I do like it. Uh, but that box is huge. So getting it out of the house, getting it out to play with other people, that's definitely going to be a barrier to entry. So um, I I don't know that, having talked about this three weeks now, I don't know that this review needs me to go through the rules because <laughs> you can all, there's a very good gaming rules video uh, from Paul Grogan out there. You can go check out. But the couple things I will mention are uh, the hand of cards that you get, which is pr- fairly consistent, is intuitive. The actions match up well with the things that you're doing. It all makes sense once you actually get the flow of it down, like what you're trying to accomplish. And it does come across as a bit point salady um, at the competitive level because like the scores that I'm seeing are like 150, 200, 250. Like you get up there, you get points for a lot of things. Um, but the challenge element of it, if you play cooperative or you play solo, is very interesting because then you they layer in this crisis board where you're drawing a card with every action that someone takes like every or every round um, of actions that people take and that card is going to have some condition on it that lets you clear it um so something that needs you need to accomplish sometimes it's expending something sometimes it's just having accomplished or done a thing so you always have these little mic- mini micro challenges and you might have a bunch of them because if you don't complete that card, it goes onto this board. And when it goes onto the board as an ongoing crisis, it makes combat worse with the void fallen and it makes or voidborn, sorry. And it makes your expenses worse when you have to. I don't, I don't remember exactly what it's called, but you feed your people or whatever. <laughs> like you have to pay upkeep. Um, so it makes both of those things worse for you if you don't complete them. So at any given point, you have like these agendas you're trying to keep track of. You have the round event or the cycle event you're trying to keep track of. Then you have the crisis board you're trying to keep track of. All these things you're trying to accomplish all at once. And you have to maintain in your head, like, okay, what's the most efficient way to puzzle through? And I need to get, I need to take out that rift in the next two rounds so I can get rid of that card. But if I do that too early, then I'm not going to be able to get enough food to manage my upkeep. Maybe if I pick up some coins and I get to increase my coin, like, each turn you take could take theoretically 10, 15 minutes as you puzzle through all this, which is why it's a great solo game, right? Um, it reminds me a little bit, not in gameplay, but just in terms of how my brain is working of Mage Knight. Um, because each round I'm thinking like, what is the most efficient way to do all the different things I'm trying to do? 
with the limited actions I have in front of me. Um, and that's that's the vibe I get from Mage Knight. But this is in space, so different. Uh, and I honestly, again, I haven't played this with like two other people. Again, I don't want to play with three, but <laughs> I don't I don't know what that combat element looks like. It's all deterministic. So you're not rolling dice. There's no chance you're going to win if you go into combat. You're either going to win or you're going to lose. So you're only going to go into combat if it really makes sense for you, or if you've built up the forces to make sure you don't lose. So I don't know that, like, again, 4X is a bit of a misnomer, but the cooperative solo element of it, working with that crisis board, kind of managing all those things, keeping track of, like, the dozen different things that are out there. If you like that kind of stuff, uh, it's, it does it all so well. If if you get overwhelmed with having a lot of tracking in front of you, like a game that's like, keep track of these 14 things and try to complete all these different puzzles, um, this is that on steroids. So. Uh, and that's not saying like, oh, if you don't like heavy games, if you do, it's a certain type of heavy game. Uh, it's, it's you know, like Arkwright is a heavy game, but the, the tracking on that is relatively minimal. It's all about the economic engine. This is just like keep track of all this stuff and try to min- maximize the efficiency of the actions that you take to complete that stuff, which I really like. So Voidfall is a buy. Um, I'll keep playing it. I'll probably stop talking about it here unless we do get it to the table, like with a big group of people. We'll update you all. But uh, it's hard to find right now. It's not in retail yet. So don't go spend a fortune on it because it will eventually get to retail. And it's the retail edition will be very good as well. It just won't have like the miniatures um, similar to Anachrony. So well worth checking out when you can. Or if you do have a copy, get it played. It's fun. Joyful. <laughs> well, that's great. I'm really happy that it plays that well that Solo works for it. Yeah, and that's always the big question mark. And it was it was a big lift to learn it because it's a lot of new rules. And I mentioned last time, like the way the rule book is written, it's like you're hopping back and forth between three different books and a bunch of different blurbs and they're all color coded. It wasn't fun to learn, but once I wrapped my head around it, I, I did have fun playing it. Yeah, I think that's the real test of the game that the mechanics work well. The puzzle cognitive load just feels right. And again, I think, I understand why, because marketing, right? Yeah. But the misnomer about the 4X stuff, I think, let me put, let me just backtrack a little bit. No one's buying this, no one's going to buy this game. No gen, no general audience is just picking this game up. Nobody, yeah. no one's, no one's who's not like heavily steep into tabletop gaming is going to be like, oh, Void Phil, I'll pick that one up. Uh, I've heard 4X, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, so, I think it actually does does it more harm than good to kind of list it and brand it as such if it doesn't fully commit to it. Yeah, it's it's basically a 4X theme, right? It's like when um it's like when Steg Stonemeyer said that Charterstone was a 4X game. You're like it's mm-hmm. or a Civ game. You're like it's not really, it's just that theme. It's a puzzle game that uses the civilization theme. And if you pitch it like that, you're like, "Oh, okay, I can see that. That's not too bad." But calling this like a straight 4x game i'm like well just in the pantheon of 4x games it doesn't compare at all it's it's cube pushing right to to a certain degree it's 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 a euro game a really good euro game but if you don't like euro games and you like like combat and a little bit of luck and and like the sprawling nature and exploration of a 4x game like this isn't that you're not even exploring the map is already set when you start the game like there is no exploration (laughs) so um, and even the even the combat to be so deterministic, I don't even know yeah. if it really should be given that credit to say that, like, that's one of the X's. Like, I get it, but also, like, 
we've played a lot of Civ games where the deterministic battling is just like, all right, I guess you could do that, but like, you could also call it cultural capture or hegemony or some other random thing. Like, why is it war? Like, what's if you're not like engaging in combat, like with cards and dice rolling? I don't know. You're just pushing somebody out because reasons. Yeah, yeah, and that's what this is. So I I can see why some people are very disappointed. I I get it. I'm not because honestly, it's rare that I like a 4x game. When I like one, if it's good, I love it. Like Eclipse and Twilight Imperium are among my favorite games of all time. Sure, but there's a lot of other ones where I'm like, eh, <laughs> I don't love the combat, so whatever. Um, but yeah, this is great. The other game I wanted to talk about really briefly, and it's a game that I we haven't fully reviewed yet, and I'm not gonna like give a big long spiel on it. Um, it's it is a complex game, but it's also not like reinventing anything here. Um, and that's Age of Innovation, and specifically the the solo version of the game. Um, so Age of Innovation is the third edition or version of Terra Mystica. Uh, it is. Basically, Terra Mystica, you have like the fantasy kind of elements to it, but now there's technology and inventions and like the, the, that kind of element is pushing forward, right? So the game, you still have kind of a static board like Terra Mystica. It's not modular like Gaia Project. Um, and you still have like the, that cult track, which I think they call the technology track now, but it's the same type of thing where you put a guy down and you move up the track. So it didn't really change those two elements the way Gaia Project did. But what it did change is it added in these innovation tiles um, that allow you to kind of change your gameplay. If you collect enough books, which is a new resource in the game, um, you can buy one of those and they're pretty powerful. And then you also have like a completely modular, like asymmetrical setup now. So you don't have like the 14 factions that are all very different and not super balanced. You have a modular setup where you, We'll pick the terrain and you'll pick the faction. And you'll kind of combine them um, along with whatever resources that come with that. And then so you mix and match, right? So it's not just like the witches are always in the forest. Like, well, the witches can be wherever. It depends on how you match them up. Um, I don't even remember if there's witches in this game, but you get the idea. Uh, and then each of those factions has their own special power, you know? So that's the major changes. And there's a few other small tweaks throughout the game. Um, the other cool thing that they did. Uh, that I kind of wanted to talk about more is they added the Automa, um, which they did eventually add to Terra Mystica with a separate expansion, but it is like tacked on. This is built in where you have the Automa deck similar to the Gaia Project deck. It's the same setup where you have the two cards with the support on the right that tells you where and how to do things and the actions on the left and multiple different difficulty levels that you can kind of scale up. Um, and they have their own deck of possible factions that they can use. There's like 15 of them. And some of them are in the game and some of them are just things made up for the solo. Uh, and they break the game in really interesting ways. So I've had a lot of fun with that. Um, I love this system in general. I like Terra Mystica. I like Gaia Project a little bit more than that. And I think I like Age of Innovation in the middle. <laughs> so, oh, middle. Uh, it, it's a better game than Terra Mystica. I like it better than that because it streamlines a lot of things and it smooths over some rough edges and it the solo is baked in in a way that's really interesting and i really like the innovation tiles but i'm just the gaia project technology track i really like that and they didn't really take that here um it doesn't really make sense in this theme so i don't know why they would take it here but they didn't so i i still enjoy that 
bit more and it also has the Automa baked in. Um, but this is a very, very good take on Terra Mystica. And what I would say is if you maybe played Terra Mystica and you're like, ah, it's these are the issues that I have. I want to try something different. Branch in those directions and choose. Do you still want the fantasy steampunkish type theme or do you want the space theme? Right. Because I think in terms of quality, they're about even. They just kind of tackle it in slightly different ways. Um, so it's still a buy, but I give all three of these a buy. Um, that, that's just like my tiered list. <laughs> We're like Gaia Project's like a 9.5. This would be a 9 and Terra Mystic is like an 8.5. Whoa. Um, and uh, yeah, the Automa is, is fantastic. And it's a very fun way to play these games. Um, it was It's good in Terra Mystica too, but again, it's kind of tacked on and because they had to work around the system as it was. So good stuff. Well worth picking up. It's fun. I look forward to playing it with more people. Excellent. I, I love hearing that because that was the one that I was really looking forward to because Terra Mystica, I've always kind of somewhat liked, but I always felt like I should like it more. Like mm. this should be the game that I love and so many people love it. And it's got, it's so in depth. I mean, you go on board game geek and you see all the threads where it's like, if you're playing this race, this is your opening moves, and this is the percentages of this, that, and the other. It's like very chess kind of thoughtful. And I was just like, I don't know. It just I played so much too. And then obviously space. Space is awesome. And space is awesome awesome when the tracks actually do a thing. So but I I, I always did feel a little like a little underwhelmed by the theming of Gaia Project. Like, I I, I didn't feel... Yeah. It just didn't... And I love space. Space is my thing. Like, if I could play a thing, it's, it's going to be in space. But it just... It just didn't land that theme here. So, Age of Innovation? Age of Innovation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that's the consensus. Like, this is... Because this even does some things better than Gaia Project in, in different ways. I just like the space theming a little bit better on my end. Um, Same. You know, like... And they have made some tweaks that are good. Like, the the cult track, which is now the tech track, it has things higher up on the track that are worth going for. Whereas in Terra Mystica, once you reach a certain point, you're like, okay, I'm at the top, right? <laughs> it's more of a race. Um, I did now, a thing. There's like income. It, like you get high enough, you get income from the different tracks and you, each track has the key that's a little bit lower. So the keys you get from obviously leveling up, there's neutral buildings that you can get from some of the technologies in the game. So you can grow your city faster and more efficiently. Sure. It's cool stuff. Um, the board's not modular, but there's a three-player side. You can flip the board over, so it's a little bit smaller. So, overall, very interesting Age of Innovation. Um, I think you'll like it. You I'm, know, I'm really we'll looking forward it. to it. And and again, the other thing, too, and this is a minor gripe, but it's, it was a gripe from way back when. I hated the fact that it, it had, like, uh, Terra Mystica had, like, the generic uh, wooden pieces that looked like they were from Contan. Oh, it still does. So, <laughs> well, don't they have look? They look a little different. They have some different pieces, which is yeah. Nice. I mean, it's... they're slightly different. Yeah, like the little house thing. It now it's a workshop, and on the lo- yeah. very edge of it, you can see what looks kind of like a chimney. Yeah. So I, I appreciate that because a game should be its own thing. That's all I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. All right. Yeah, because before it was like, oh, the palace is like a weird cube-like shape, and the other thing is a weird shape, and which one's which? I'm not sure, but. They're just blocks, but now it actually yeah. has a little definition. That's true. The palace does now look like a palace. It's not just a it, cube. Yeah, yeah, no. And and again, like I've played a lot of abstract games. And I'm not against the abstract nature of of board games, but this gives a little more definition. So I, I really do. I can I can 
I can feel myself more uh, thematically in place here. So, bravo. Love it. Love it. Excellent. Well, speaking of up upgrade pieces and such, many years ago, I think about two years back when I was at PAX Unplugged, I think it was 2021 or so, or maybe it was before that. Well, way back when, way back when, there was a Kickstarter for the spiritual successor to Takedo. And everyone was excited. Uh, Namaji, the next chapter in the Takedo universe. This was on Kickstarter. And instead of a breezy walk during down the Takedo Road, this was a fleet of ships going out and doing a lot of cool things to kind of like. So instead of your long board, it was a square board, and you're going around the ocean, and just like Takedo, the last bolt in line gets to make the first move, and each spot you move gives you an opportunity to get points or random set collection cards and such. If you play Takedo, you know exactly how to play Naimji. That being said, there is some difference in updates to it, and I finally got a chance to play the Designer Edition. Um, this is from Anton Bowser and uh, Fun Forge Games, and it is slightly different. It's slightly upgraded, and primarily what you're looking at as far as the upgraded version is concerned is instead of your typical tokens, you're actually getting uh, 3D miniatures that are painted, and Beyond that little thing, you get you get uh, your offering miniatures, which I'll talk about in a minute, or also little plastic sculpts, an oversized board, which is always nice, acrylic markers, and a little tiny art book, because again, the artwork is next level kind of stuff. Uh, and Xavier Duran brought all that together and did an amazing job here. The gameplay itself is you have your ship, you're doing a number of things as, as going out throughout the ocean for your catch. And then stopping at each dock, very similar to Takeda, where you're stopping at each end. And primarily, both games are very much about whatever you do, it's a very chill kind of situation. You can run ahead and take a spot further down the road, or in this case, uh, further down the sea lane. But it allows the other ships to pick up a lot of additional spots and actions. But sometimes you need or want something that's down the road, or again, down the sea lane, so it makes sense. What's different here is obviously the different locations and spots. First up, line fishing. There is a pile of tokens, and in the Super Deluxe version, it comes with a bag. And basically what you're doing is you're trying to do a set collection on your player board. Your player board has a number of spots open. You start with the top left corner, and then orthogonally, you place out fish. There are four different fish tokens. There's different color tokens. And primarily, the job is to try to get those complete rows and columns of the same type of fish or the same color to score those points. So line fishing allows you to pick up one token and then one, make one visible in the school. So it's not as challenging as you think it would be because as the game goes on, more and more tokens are made available so you could see and have a choice of going random or picking up some tokens that you know you could see and you can kind of fit in. There's also net fishing, which is this uh, tile that has two fish on it, and those are matching fishes. 
and then you're able to play it into your tableau. And again, matching the color or you're matching the type of the fish. Obviously, there's going to be challenges as far as how you match things up. And same thing with line fishing and net fishing. If you don't want to take the fish, you can throw them back and it won't mess up your tableau. But primarily, it is a race and you're not, you can't be guaranteed to always hit those spots. So you want to try to take as much as possible. There's also a crustacean trap. This is a little different. So this is actually a press your luck game in which you are pulling from a bag that has a number of different crustaceans in it, mostly shrimp and crabs. And you can take out five tokens. Each of the tokens is worth one point. I'll talk about the expansion in a minute. But primarily, if you pull out two crabs, your turn is over and all those tokens go back. So you can get one crab, a bunch of shrimp, and you're fine. But it's a press your luck situation. A little different than Tokaido, which almost always, always gives you points. There's also a whirlpool. This is in the middle of the board, and you're making offerings. Now, with the Super Deluxe version, you get this really nice plastic-crafted uh, origami ship that you're able to place in the ocean. At the start of the game on your player board, it will say that you have negative points because you are just totally negative about fishing out there. So you're taking from the ocean, so making these kind of prayer offerings in back to the ocean reduces, and then eventually you can get them all off your board, so you take away all the negative points. But just like the temple in Takaido, there are limited spaces for it, and that's a lot of negative points. So you want to be able to do that. And again, just like Takaido, there's Pamarana. So Pamaranas are made of, of all these beautiful paintings. This time, instead of locations, they're going to be different, uh, I guess, aquatic creatures that you run into, dolphins, orcas, and whales. So again, you have the same kind of thing like Takaido. There's three sections, four sections, or five sections. The first person to complete the full section gets the bonus three points. Not very different. Kind of fun to collect. There's also the sacred rock location. This was kind of like the traveler version of Takaido. But this time, what you're able to get, instead of getting a random kind of card that might help you in some of your set collections, this is going to actually give you an end game bonus. You choose two, and then you go through those two cards. You put one back in the bottom. You keep one for, for final scoring. And then finally, docks. Now, docks are very much like the Inn of Takedo. A little difference here is when you get to the dock, you get to decide where you want to go as far as do you want to leave first or do you want to select the cards from the dock first? That's a little different, a little interesting. And then the cards themselves are not food in this case, but there are victory points and or special abilities that you'll get throughout the game based on certain spots that you land on the board. So earlier you go in the selection and later that you leave, you'll get a choice of the cards, player number plus one, get to choose what special ability or point cards you want to take, and then you'll get to run with that throughout the game. That was really nice. Nice to get a bonus, really individualized your particular ship as far as that's going and then eventually you get to the final dock which is once around the whole board and then the first person there gets the highest points and then down the line gets less and less points so there is a rationale to get to that final dock and generally it's a lot of fun so as you're navigating the japanese archipelago and you're visiting all the different areas you're getting a lot of points from a lot of different areas uh, the deluxe version's nice because the painted ships are nice. A little hard sometimes to make out the difference between the yellow and brown ship, but still very nice. The offering minis are cute. 
The oversized board is nice. Scoring markers are fine. The art book is fine. Again, you don't need the deluxe version unless you really love the ships. Now, the expansion that comes with the deluxe version is Aquamarine. In this expansion, you are going to get a new center offering board. So before, you put your little offerings in this kind of whirlpool. It does nothing. This time, every other space gives you a minor bonus. So timing when you make the offering is, is a new different thing. So some of the offering challenges and benefits will like allow you to move a fish, pick up an additional card, or score some additional points based upon a crustacean you're able to pull in. In addition to that, there's new crustaceans that go into the bag. So some shrimp that, that allow you to score up to five points, some rocks that score zero points, and so forth and so on. There's also rainbow fish. There are two of each type of fish that are rainbow colored, which means they match with any color possible. And then there's some additional bonus cards and such. It's weird to like the expansion is not much of an expansion, but it's somewhat kind of essential because adding to the crustacean bag just allows you to have a lot more fun because there's different stuff in it versus like good, 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 bad, bad. And the Rainbow Fish allows you to complete your particular scoring board a lot easier. And again, it gives you more uh, a, a bigger, a better rationale to go into the bag and fish instead of just taking a random color that's out there. And the bonus cards are just more bonus cards. So I would say the expansion Aquamarine is essential, but it's it's not a lot of an expansion, so to speak. So for Nemeji, uh, it's the spiritual successor to Takedo. I enjoy these kind of trips because playing it with gamers who are, you know, gamers, but gateway on the side, it is a great entry-level game to Euros. Not for just people who've never played, but again, all you're doing is moving a ship, and you're taking that action at that particular spot. Strategically, doesn't really matter until the very end where you have certain collections. It's a very tactical game. This spot's open, this spot's open, this spot's open. If you take the, the most closest available spot, that's as much strategy as you really need. Like You just want to get a lot of stuff and see how the points count up. It's a game where points really almost don't matter because it's a lot of just like, were you lucky enough to get the certain set collection based upon what spots were available when you were closest to them? I will say that the game has less chill than Takedo for two reasons. One, you don't get an individual player character that has a special ability, so it was a little more... It was a lot less thematic. Like, yes, I get a ship and it moves around, but I don't feel like the ship. In Takedo, I felt like that's my character. I'm the painter, or I'm the priest. And as a priest, I get to get an extra donation every time I donate. Like, I feel a little more connection and ownership to that character. And those miniatures are also very nice. This one was like, oh, you got a special ability. Why? I don't know. It's a special ability. So Takaido's a little more chill because it, it feels a little more right. And also with Takaido, it doesn't have those kind of random pressure luck crustacean bag thing where you could literally come out with zero time and time again. So the comparisons are always going to be made. 
this is a good game. It gets a play for me. But if I had to choose between both games, I'm always picking Takedo because it just feels more thematically present as you're walking and journeying and purchasing things and getting really cool stuff and having some great meals and you feel like your character a little bit more. But both are very good games. So there you go. It's cool. I remember yeah. playing the little bonus thing we did. It was fun. Yeah, Namiji. Uh, fun game. Definitely worth the play. If you want to pick the Deluxe, it's great. If you don't have the Deluxe, it's fine. But I would recommend the Aquamarine expansion if it's not too crazy expensive because it does add to the game. All right, Anthony. So that's everything that hit the table this week. Let's get on to our feature review. Our feature review is talking, of course, about Eschenspiel 2023, the hotness, the greatness, the end days of it all. The the it's just it's it is it is it is the greatest European convention out there, and something that we look forward to every year. It happened. We were not there, but it did happen, and we want to talk about it because it's awesome. How do we know it happened if we weren't there? Oh, very true. Are so you it did, trusting it the happen? internet now, Chris? You're trusting Ugh. the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Now that you mention it, did it really happen if we weren't there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Does anything happen if you and I are not personally whoa, there? Whoa, whoa, bro. It, We're good. <laughs> oh, that's what I'm saying. Does this podcast actually happen if, if no yeah. one listens? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You yeah. study philosophy. Where are we going with this? I don't know. <laughs> it's going dark and it's going deep. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, games, 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 games. So many games come out at Essen. Um, we always go on about Gen Con and the crazy list, but Essen every year I look at this list and I'm like, I think my brain might explode if I actually, when we do actually go. Like, Yeah, this has always been the convention that, again, because it's a, such a distance, it's, it's an ocean for us. If you have been there or, or were there, awesome. Like, love it. But this has always been the convention where, like, there are these wonderful games. They're amazing. You may see them in six months to six years or not at all because. We're amazing, and you're far away, so therefore, no, 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 no games for you. And we used to live and die based on, like, the random person who would come back from Essen, or, in that random case, PAX Unplugged would have some of those Essen releases to play, but not released in the U.S. So it was always, again, like you mentioned, Anthony, like, that wonderful thing that we did not go to, that we always wanted to go to, that always had the best stuff, that we may or may not have ever seen. So... What did or didn't happen at Essen? Yeah. What did or did not happen? I don't know. It's crazy. We weren't there. No. Just... <laughs> <laughs> or maybe we were. You never know. Different timeline. Yeah. We could yeah. have been there in a different timeline. Um, so uh, the thing about Essen, like any show, but especially Essen, is that it's it's about game sales, right? It's not... Like Gen Con is a whole big sprawling event. There's all stuff going on. There's people cosplaying and there's events and contests and all sorts of stuff. Essen is like, a, f- a game fair right you're there for the games you're playing games you're buying games so lots and lots of stuff for sale very big big convention halls and all that good stuff um which means like the lists of games are very long that's why we haven't you know we're not going to go through the whole list because the preview list on board game geek is 1233 games <laughs> oh it's come on man it's so much it's like <laughs> Like, you know, like people say like, oh, yeah, a couple thousand games come out every year. And you're like, okay, yeah. But like, you don't visualize that until you're like skimming through this list. And there's like 85 pages of games or whatever it is. So it's a lot. Um, 
What we do know is that a bunch of stuff sold out, which doesn't what? mean that those games were the hotness because it might be they just didn't bring enough. But Aww. some of these, you, you know, we're assessing the pulse and a lot of people were talking about them. Um, I know one several people were talking about that I saw that I hadn't necessarily heard about before is Coffee Rush. Uh-huh. Uh, this one was it's from Korea Board Games Company. It sold out pretty quickly. And I think a lot of the games that were imported from like other com- countries outside of Europe did sell out pretty quickly. They didn't have a lot of copies, but this is one sure. that I saw several people were upset about. Um, one of the games that sold out at Gen Con that we didn't get a chance to try out was World Wonders, also sold out immediately, like day mm-hmm. one at, yeah. at Essen. Um, still waiting to get my hands on this. I I don't know if I'll like it or not, just because <sighs> I didn't love Brazil Imperial, but it's polyominoes and civ building, and I dig that. So <laughs> We'll see. Uh, other games sold out quickly. Um, Rebel Princess sold out on Thursday at Essen. This is uh, uh, a game from publisher Zombie Paella. Oh, little card game. Nice. Uh, Nuts a go go. It's a fun little title. Um, this one also uh, looks like it came out of Japan, uh, but you got like little wooden nut pieces that you're you're playing with. It's a set collection game. Um, Nikosu Dice is a game I have played in the past. Uh, it's a like dice based trick taking game. It's very good, but it's very hard to find outside of Japan. So that's one that they only had a few copies of. Sold out pretty quickly. Sky Team, they had 300 copies a day. They sold out of all that very fast. And that's another one that we saw at Gen Con that was like just flying okay. off. People were super psyched about. Mm-hmm. Um, we should mention Lorcana was there as well, but also just sold out immediately every day. <laughs> Did anyone take a pallet home with them by, not, by chance? Not that we're aware of. But <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Nobody uh, wearing a, a certain game publisher shirt just randomly show up. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's crazy. Like I'm seeing some people like they're talking about like the cost of buying. It's it actually makes no sense financially to buy a box of this of Lorcana at the markups that they're going for. You could just go buy the cards you want individually and it'd be cheaper than to buying packs and opening them. Because there's so much out they've printed a lot, but there's so many scalpers that it's just it's such a weird market right now. It always was going to be cuz you had you have Disney adults involved in this. Yeah. So it's it's off the hook. Yeah, it's weird and gross, but it, it is what it is. <laughs> uh, next up, we had Veil of Eternity. This is a cute-looking game um, from Mandu Games. So it's like an engine-building game with all these beautiful creatures. And it, it's designed by um, Eric Hong, who has worked on only a couple other small games. But it's coming from Renegade here in the U.S. soon. They just announced that, so... That's good, uh, but I know that was a popular one that sold out very quickly. Um, the bunch of other games, and some of these I haven't heard of. We have Nekojima. Uh, this is one that came from Unfriendly Games. Uh, it's like a... I don't know if that's Dexterity. Yeah, like Dexterity, you're building power poles. Yes, like with a lot on of an island. Yeah, looks interesting. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, far Away. There's another game here from Ketchup Games. Um, I like the look of this one a lot. Yeah, no, it's got a really interesting aesthetic to it. Like, it's it's not... Like, at first glance, it's not entirely clear, like, what's going on here. But it's, like, these different, like, animals or spirits kind of dressed up. Um, in this, like, tableau builder, which is always yeah. fun. 
explain stuff in your tableau building, so that's always good. Yeah. Uh, Penguin Airlines. Yeah. Gotta love penguins flying planes, right? Very cute. Like, like you say, it. You say Penguin Airlines, though, and I'm thinking, like, penguins on planes, and it looks like... I mean, it, it does look like penguins on planes, but then you have these it, big sprawling boards that... I, I, I'm not sure if it's, like, a real-time flying plane thing. What is <laughs> what is this? They're doing the best they can, man. They, they, they're not... They're not known for their flying, okay? Right. <laughs> um, we got tequila from Detestable Games, in which you are making tequila. It's a looks like a rolling right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Senjutsu Battle for Japan. Nice. Yeah. This is. Uh, this isn't look Lucky Duck Games did this right? Like I can't remember. Like I feel like this was on Kickstarter, right? Mm-hmm. So. What we're seeing here is kind of a uh, finally hitting the market type of thing rather than a brand new game. Sure. Um, Rats of Wistar. I, I mentioned that earlier. That's uh, kind of how I heard about it is it was announced for the con and it sold out immediately. And then I'm like, well, now I want it because that's how FOMO works. <laughs> so yay me. Now I got to find this stupid game. Um, Forest Shuffle from Lookout Games. Beautiful artwork little fox in the forest type look to it looks very pretty card game uh we have bonsai which we did also see at gen con also sold out immediately from db games yes yeah it's a pretty game about cutting up some bonsai trees <laughs> uh sea salt and paper uh that one you played this right you reviewed this not too long ago yeah i played this and i, I will also for my sea salt and paper fans out there i on Board Game Arena, and I have the visual proof of this, I got four mermaids and won the game. No one else understands what that means, but... No, no I'm, just, the, I'm just kind of staring at the screen. I'm like, cool. <laughs> yeah, like, it's it's a it's a really cool kind of game. And then there's, like, this one radical kind of ver- version of the way of, of a victory where you have to collect four of these same type of card and you just automatically win the game. And I did it, and like on Board Game Geek, they track like statistics, and like point zero 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 two percent of people have done it. And I was like, I did a thing. But again, it's drafting cards, so random cards. So <laughs> <laughs> I want to take credit for it, but I like to thank the random deck that gave me the four cards. <laughs> so, nice, yes, random cards like, for the win. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Can't I, I be good, be lucky. That's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, well, any card game, right? Yeah. Uh, all right. So other stuff that sold out. Just a couple things here. We got uh, footprints about leading your Stone Age clan to the mountains before the land is flooded. Uh, oh, sold out pretty quickly there. All right. So we will or not ever see that game again. <laughs> right. Uh, the White Castle. Uh, I we talked about this not too long ago. It's the new one from Ira C and Shay S, um, mm-hmm. who made uh, Red Cathedral and uh, the Bullet Train game that you and I both liked very much. So, very pretty, like, uh, kind of um, feudal Japan type of game. Nice. So, and, and they make these wonderful, like, smaller box, chunky, but, like, 90-minute Euros, like in Lopiano style, which I love. Uh, and then we when we jump down to Board and Dice, they had a new game that they were releasing, Nucleum. Um, yes. And I don't know if that's sold out or not. It's not on the sold out list, but I know that was, like, their big hot thing. It was at the grand opening. Um and I'm excited for it. I, I don't know when our copies are on their way, but definitely want to play that. Uh, they also had some copies of Barcelona there, which 
originally released at Gen Con, but they only had a few copies left for Essen and it sold out pretty quickly. Uh, this is one that's on our to review list here in the next few weeks as well. Very cool. Um, other games that just disappeared. Uh, we have Planet Nubo, which I talked about a few weeks ago. This is kind of the, the what do you call this? Solar punk? Yes. 100%. Yes. We got big tree. There's sky stuff going on. Looks cool. <laughs> but it sold out. So no, couldn't buy it. Um, my Island is kind of the My City expansion from Reiner Knizia. So uh, the, the rules change each time you play it. It's legacy style. Um, but that one sold out as well. Uh, Hegemony was difficult to find. They had some copies there. And that's just generally hard to find everywhere. But I know as a Kickstarter game, when they do have those at conventions, people get very excited. Um, the Evacuation was the number one game on the Board Game Geek Hotness. It jumped Whoa. up above Among Cultists, somehow wow. beat it out. Crazy. Um, this was the new one from Delicious Games of Vladimir Suchi, which I'm, I like Suchi's games. The last few years I've been like, yeah, that seems cool. But this one I'm really excited for because I love the idea of like breaking down your engine and then having to rebuild it. That's such a cool idea. It's such a Suchi idea. <laughs> like, like deconstructing uh, engine building. Like Last Will. Yeah, yeah, but like both directions. Yeah. It's cool. Um, so that one sold pretty well. Um, people get their hands on that. Uh, Kutnahora, The City of Silver, was a new game from Czech Games Edition. We got a chance to preview this at Gen Con, um, and they released it at Spiel. So this is all about... And this had a really cool aesthetic to it, right? Just visually speaking, had a really nice... Like, the cover doesn't really do it justice. You have to look inside the box because it's colorful, but also very stark artwork with these big, thick lines. I really like this, the way it looks. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, Arc Nova's new expansion was available. So it is shipping here, like, in a couple weeks, but people in Europe got it first. Boo. <laughs> uh, Cascadia's new expansion also available uh, at Essen. I don't know when that's shipping here. But I'm gonna I'm gonna hunt it down when it does. <laughs> so I want myself a copy of that, the Landmarks expansion for Cascadia. Um, from the Moon was a, a new game from La Boite de Joux. So you're building workers and bases and humanity. Um, pretty sure this thing was on Kickstarter. So it's speaks to your comments on Kickstarter, Chris. All the games, Kickstarter games. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Three Ring Circus from Devere. That one was a big one at Gen Con. Hard to find, though. They sold out very fast. So, Essen yep. um, uh, also had Shipyard 2nd Edition from Mr. Vladimir Suchi. Mm. So, I I haven't played the first edition. I, I know it's not the most beautiful game in the world, but this looks prettier, if nothing else. Oh, of course. Uh, Arborea, this is from Alley Cat Games, and Danny Garcia, who also designed Barcelona, another very pretty game. Um, this was on Kickstarter. I almost backed it, but it just looked like a little too much. But then the more I look at it, I'm like, it is very pretty. I would like to have this. Mm. Uh, all right. Let's see what else we got here on the list. See, you can tell the list is long because I'm just like, I have to skim over a couple things. Voidfall Galactic Edition, they did have copies of this there for 200 euros which woof but you know if you didn't back it this was the way to get it because 
the hell was he going to get? Something like this. And Mind Clash often brings their big, hard-to-find stuff to conventions, which is nice. So some people got that in Europe, which is awesome. Um, and we could go on for Infinity, because there are so many games here. We have expansions for Botoku, expansions for Revive. There was a mini expansion for Underwater Cities. Chris, we got to find that. Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> no, I know. Um, the Brussels 1893, Belle Epoque. So I think like a revamp of Brussels, which is a game that I know you and I don't love, but it is, it is like one of those Braille games that's been hard to find for a while. Because no one um, loved it when it came out, but they reprinted no. it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, people are collectively losing their minds. Like the Euro players about Galactic Cruise. I keep seeing more and more buzz around this thing. Like post Gen sure. Con, the people who demoed it, and we were not able to track down the demo for this, but. Post Gen Con, people were like, oh my gosh, Galactic Cruise. Now post Essen, people are like, oh my gosh, Galactic Cruise. So <laughs> by proxy, I'm like, oh my gosh, Galactic Cruise. I, I want to play this game. Um, probably it'll just go up on Kickstarter and I'll just back it without having played it, because that's how this works. But <laughs> that's, it looks that, very good. That's the world we live in now. I'm sorry. Yeah, it has yeah. been for a while, unfortunately. <laughs> yes, very much so. Oh man. Um Bamboo, uh, which was recently covered on uh, Shut Up and Sit Down. Sure. And I've see. heard them. Yeah. Imperial Miners, uh, that released at, at Essen as well. This is the probably not at all related to Imperial Settlers spin on that world um, designed by Tim Armstrong. Um, and many more. So... <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it's tough always to get a, a good sense. And if, if you were there, obviously, let us know like what games were hot for you. Because I, I go down, like I'm on page like 20 right now. But we could keep going and it's like, oh, that sounds interesting. And that sounds interesting. Um, <clears throat> like Pirates of Maracaibo, which we've talked about before. That really said Essen. Is it good? I don't know. It's on page 20. Is that <laughs> how excited people were for this game? I don't know. Um, but in total, like when I was going through this list, I found maybe... 30 or 40 games that I would like to play maybe like five I would like to purchase sure. uh, none of which are available here yet so they just all kind of like build up on top of the other stuff that's coming out and then by the time we get to the spring and these things start to release I'm like oh that's a lot of games it's too many games um, which is why I, I think the time of the year that I tend to spend the most money on games is like April and May like right before the summer conventions because all the essence stuff comes out yeah so uh, seems like a good year, though. Like a lot of these big Euro designers had new stuff. It wasn't all just like this game 2.0 and this game 2.0. Yeah, there's a last year was kind of a thin, thin year. So yeah. it kind of popped a little bit this. Like you said, 2.0 Shipyard, second edition, Vladimir Suchi. Uh, Shipyard is one of my favorite games of all time. So a graphical update and hope and obviously some level of tweaking went on. So definitely check that one out. It's a very good game. Uh, a little tiny little fiddly game, but a very good game. Uh, so excited about that. And I guess the only other one that I was really looking forward to, and I haven't heard much information about it, it's called Forest Shuffle. And what's really interesting about it is it seems like a very cool Arc Nova because. It actually looks better because it's multi-use cards. So actually you have your trees and then your trees have special abilities. And then on the four sides of the trees, 
there is different insects, animals, and, and such that will actually um, ecologically work well together for points and, and things and such. So a very new and interesting way to kind of tableau build. And that's one of my favorite mechanics uh, and just different like it. And it, it builds out the tree, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's on board game arena, right? I believe so. I haven't seen it. I haven't played it yet, but yeah, I um, think it's new. They, they dropped a few new games during Essen that were just like, Hey, this one's out. Check it out. Should we mention so. the big, the big game that they dropped at uh, Essen for board game arena? The big uh, one, the, the big, big one, one. The, the big the, one, the number four, <laughs> the number four. Yeah. Twilight Imperium, man. Oh yeah. That's right. I sent that to you. Yes, you did. <laughs> it's 1030. What do you want from me? Um, yeah, no, there was a banner up just randomly. Board Game Arena's bringing Twilight Imperium 4, which that was it. Great. That's all it said. That's all it needs to say. Yeah, no, I'm I'm all for it. I was just like, really? Okay, cool. And then I was like trawling the, the forums, like, is this in beta yet? Can I try it out? <laughs> Can I play? Can I play? Like, wanna play do I want to play this game with online with a bunch of people I don't know? I Probably not. But Yeah. Well, Sky Team is out on beta for Board Game Arena, so... Uh, if you haven't gotten a copy, this is a really good way to, to play the game. And again, it's great because it's a two-player game. And you're not supposed to be talking, so that's also a good way to play the game because people cheat, and we all know it. <laughs> <laughs> when you're not supposed to communicate toward playing games, and somehow there's communication, so yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the, the online versions of, uh, what's what's it called? Hanabi are, are very good because you can't cheat. It's not possible. <laughs> Uh, I tell you. So, yeah, there's a uh, fantastic, wonderful collection of games came out at Essen. Obviously, so many have sold out, which, again, bodes well for the industry, bodes well for that great games are getting out there. Hopefully, we will see them in the U.S. or not, because that's also the way things happen. But if you have gotten a chance to play them at Essen or have gotten to get a chance to get to the table, bravo. Congratulations. Enjoy your wonderful purchases. And again, always hit us up and let us know how great they are, because if they're great, we want to get them to the table so we can tell more people about them. All right, Anthony. So until next time, or until Spiel, as is Spiel 2024, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all. I see you at the table. Take care, everyone. Bye. See ya. <laughs>